Welcome to the Archive Project. I'm Amanda Bullock, and for Andrew Proctor, I'm Director of Public Programs at Literary Arts. The Archive Project is a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland, Oregon. This is one of four special episodes that are being broadcast exclusively on the Archive Project podcast as part of the 2021 Portland Book Festival. This year's festival will also feature live streamed conversations every night the week of November 8th. If you miss anything, replays are available, and we are returning to the Portland Art Museum and the stages at Portland 5 for an in-person festival day on November 13th. To learn more about attending the festival in person or virtually, visit literary-arts.org. And keep an ear out for conversations from this year's festival events on future episodes of the Archive Project. Grace Bonney is perhaps most famous for her interior design blog, Design Sponge. She's also published three amazing books, Design Sponge at Home, A DIY Guide to Interior Decor, In the Company of Women, Inspiration and Advice from Over 100 Makers, Artists, and Entrepreneurs, and the newly released Collective Wisdom, Lessons, Inspiration, and Advice from Women Over 50. For this episode of the Archive Project at Portland Book Festival, Grace invited three of the women from the book to join her. Portland-based artist Lisa Congdon, photographer Nyok Min Nyo, and cookbook author Sonoko Sakai. Anyone, whether or not you are a woman and whether or not you are over 50, will certainly gain a great deal from their conversation. They talk about what they wish they could tell their younger selves, their initial resistance to being considered an elder when they still feel like they have so much to learn, and some of the older women who shaped their own lives and have been role models for them. Let's join Grace now. Hi, I'm Grace Bonney. I am the author of Collective Wisdom, which is a new book out this November 2021, dedicated to celebrating the stories of women over 50, as well as meaningful stories of intergenerational friendships between women, whether that is a matriarchal connection, a community connection, or a work relationship. And I am so excited today to have three of the women from the book who so graciously shared their stories. We're going to be talking about aging. We're going to be talking about misconceptions related to age, in particular, the way that society sort of asks women to look backward more than look forward. And so today, I hope we will do some looking forward and hear more about your individual experiences. So to start, I'm going to ask you all to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and if you feel comfortable sharing your age, that would be great. I will start by saying I turned 40 this year. So I'm Grace, I'm 40, and I'm based in the Hudson Valley. Lisa, why don't we start with you? Um, My name is Lisa Congdon. I am in Portland, Oregon. I am a fine artist and illustrator and writer, and I am 53 and I am about to turn 54 in January. And I have known Grace since she was like 25. So (laughs) we go way back. It's it's amazing to me that you're 40. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. Sonoko, how about you? Um, Hi, I'm Sonoko Sakai, and I am a cooking teacher based in Los Angeles. And I am 66 years old. I could be your, I could be your mother and grandmother. Oh my God. I feel so old, but I don't feel really old. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to dive into those feelings more in this conversation. Um, So my name is Nabmingo and I'm a photographer and author and I am 58. 
I'm so glad to have you all here today. And I want to start with a question that I would love if you could be brutally honest about. So I'm wondering if any of you had any hesitation at all about being involved in a book that discussed aging and ageism so directly. Did any of you have any any feelings of concern or doubt? Sonoko, what about you? Um, I didn't. I, not at all. I, I, I try to uh, celebrate my age. So um, I, I, I was totally for it. But when I saw the word elder, I freaked out a little bit because <laughs> I said, wait, in the, and actually the age range is from 50 to 50 and beyond. So I thought, oh my God, from 50 onwards, you're an elder. And I was <laughs> kind of resisting to be categorized as a senior citizen, but um these days, I mean, there's just no way to avoid it. And I just have to accept it and celebrate it. Mm. Now, what about you? Did you feel any hesitations? Um, no, not at all. Actually, I, um, I grew up in um, Vietnam. So in our culture, older women were not ostracized or anything. I grew up just admiring a lot of older women, a lot of my sort of role models or people that I looked up to were women and and also people who I thought were beautiful were older women you know I liked the way they wore their hair um I just remember thinking that when I was young you know so to me um to be an older woman was not like a stigma of any kind and it just seemed natural I mean you get older I mean it's a fact of life Lisa how did you feel about it oh I was excited I mean I started my career later in life, um, relatively late. Um, although now I feel like it's becoming more normal to start a new career in your forties. So I was excited because I feel like in the beginning of my career, I was always really kind of ashamed about how old I was and the fact that I was self-taught and, and then I realized like, oh, the things that I'm embarrassed by are actually what connects me to other people and like, what is the strength of my kind of presence? And so once I started talking openly about how old I was and about my path, I actually like started to feel really good because I was just connecting with more people and building an audience for my work. And um, I ended up writing a book um, a few years ago or they called a glorious freedom, which is basically essays by and interviews with, um, and profiles of women over 40 who kind of hit the apex of their career later in life. So I've already been thinking about this for a long time. Um, but similar to you kind of like talking about other people. And so to be included in a book about, you know, older women, um, who are kind of like leading the way was, I don't know, really an honor for me. So, yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm also what kind of stuck in my head while I was listening to you all, Sonoko, was you kind of having a moment with the word elder. I'm curious what all of your initial emotional reactions to that word is, because we, I thought I spent a lot of time thinking about what words to include and what words not to include, and then realized there was no universal response to the word old, to the word elder, um, to the word wisdom. I think all of those things kind of come with their own loaded concepts, but how do you all feel about the word elder, in particular, it being applied to you? Sinego, let's start with you. How, how did you feel when the word elder popped up? I think it was uh, basically accepting 
who I was, where I am in my stage of life. And um, Nak said that the, you were surround, you always uh, admired older people or in your community growing up in Vietnam. And I grew up in, um, I actually was born here, but I went back to Japan and grew up um, uh, next to my grandmother's house. And I hadn't met her until I was about seven or eight years old and spent a lot of time with her in her kitchen. And that's how I became in love with cooking. But I always, and I used to take a bath with her and I would say, God, you have so many wrinkles. You're so old. (laughs) But she was very graceful and she loved to be the grandma and she loved to be my teacher or our teachers. And um, I really learned to respect her age and her wisdom. And so now that you put you introduced me into the cat category of elder. I feel like I really have to live up to to that uh, generation. And I'm um, and in fact, I just I published a book um, just before the pandemic, and I I realized that I was actually writing this book when I entered my when when I entered the kitchen, my grandmother's kitchen. She was already about my age. And I realized, oh, my God, it's been a long time. But, you know, I, I actually feel very proud of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nock, how do you feel about the word elder being applied to you? Well, I, I think I, I feel similar to Sunoko in a sense that in one sense, I don't feel like it applies to me because I feel like I'm always looking up to someone older. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the elder. But also, I feel like I still have a lot to learn. Um, But on the other hand, yes, I am elder. I mean, and I've earned it. I've had all these experiences and I've, you know, lived all these stories. And so I do have something to pass on. And that is what an elder does. Lisa, I'm curious about your feelings in particular, kind of within the lens of what it means to be an elder in the queer community as well. Yeah, it's something that, you know, similar to Sunoco, you know, made me maybe a little uncomfortable at first, but then I have really grown to embrace that word. Um, You know, I came out when I was in my early 20s. And um, so I've been out now for over 30 years and, you know, living in the queer community and, um, and so in so many ways, like, so, so I mentor a lot of younger artists and um, one and particular queer artists. And one of the young women that I'm mentoring right now um, is going through a lot of stuff in her personal life because she grew up in a home where um, her parents are super religious and she can't be herself. She's not allowed to talk to her brother. Like it's just a mess. And so it's really getting in the way of her creative process. And I found myself mentoring her around, Um, her sense of self and her queerness and her, you know, ability to really love herself, even though other people are rejecting her. And, you know, it was like related to her work, but here I was, you know, dispensing, um, you know, love and listening and some advice to her about kind of like how to march through that. And um, I also teach at PNCA, um, it's, which is the Pacific Northwest College of Art and in the, in the grad program. So most of my students are in their twenties, some are in their early thirties. And, um, 
you know, so they're, they're not, you know, 18 year olds, they're, you know, they're, they're relatively mature. And yet I have, you know, I realize like I have like 20 or 30 years on them of life experience and of, you know, certainly work experience, um, even though I've only been a professional artist for about, you know, 15 years. So um, I'm starting to embrace it and it feels, um, it feels good. You know, it feels good. I love hearing that. I, I think one of the things I think about a lot when I think about the term elder and what that transitional time can feel like to realize that other people may be thinking of you through that lens is I think one of the things we bump up against a lot is internalized ageism. And I, I know we all kind of know what externalized ageism looks like, but I'm wondering what each of your experiences have been with internalized ageism and what does that look like or sound like in your life? And how have you tried to counter that? Sunoko, what about you? Well, I, I always thinking about time right now. Um, I'm, I'm, I've reached an age where I say, Time is um, not limitless. There is this frame of time. And, and I think about this every day. I say, what can I do to, what kind I mean, I try to live in the now. I, I really say, okay, I make goals with <laughs> each day and try not to waste that time that I have left in me. And I don't know if it's going to be, when it's going to end, but I know that there is an end. And I think I've been, internalizing my my mortality if that's the way to put it um since my parents passed away and they they passed away within two, two years of each other and my mother passed away during the pandemic so i i've had to kind of grow up and say okay it's my turn and so uh, mentally and physically i've internalized what it means to be my age and i don't want to take it for granted I love living and um, I try to stop complaining about things. <laughs> my husband says I do a lot. So I say, okay, I'm going to just shut up and try to <laughs> be kinder to others and <laughs> be, you know, try to achieve what I'm trying to do each day. And they don't have to be big things, you know, they're just little things, but, um, but, you know, and as a sum, it, it becomes important each day. So Lisa, have you experienced any internalized ageism and what does that sound like or look like in your life? For me, I think it's mostly f- like the physical changes to my body um, that have been not like the hardest for me. Um, you know, I'm just, go- I've gone through menopause in the last two years. Um, I'm struggling with hot flashes, um, and, you know, um, sort of like physical changes and, you know, all the ways that your body kind of goes south. (laughs) Um, and yet, um, I'm like, it's been a struggle because I'm, uh, I've always been super athletic and I, I love kind of like trying new things. And just in the last couple of years, I've gotten into gravel bicycling or gravel racing. And, um, I've had to really make it about my own personal achievement and being out in the world and meeting people and like, um, learning something new and kind of pushing through pain and fatigue rather than I'm going to be the best at this thing, which is often in my life when I was younger, how I would approach a new endeavor. And I notice as I've gotten older, I'm so much more comfortable with not being the best at something, but doing something purely because I love it. 
And I think because um, my body can't do all of the things that it used to be able to do. Um, not that I was ever an elite athlete, but I certainly had more, you know, um, like phys- physical prowess than I have now that instead of saying, well, I can't do this, I'm going to, I'm saying I can do this and I might not do it. Like I used to be able to do it, or even as fast or as, you know, in a skilled way as another 54 year old, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I enjoy it. And, um, I feel like that's an attitude shift that is kind of a gift that's come out of me kind of accepting the fact that, you know, my body is changing, even though that internal dialogue is like often negative for me. Um, and I, and I battle with that. Like I haven't overcome it, you know, for sure. And I don't know if you ever do entirely. I don't, having now spoken to about a hundred women, many of which over the age of 90, I, I don't think, unfortunately that, that battle ever really stops. I think it's something that's, that's ongoing. And I feel like people's levels of resistance may wax and wane, but that was a surprising result of working on this book was realizing that you can be a hundred and still really kind of feel that fight of, of change. It's essentially what it is. I think knock, have you noticed any moments of internalized ageism in your life or felt yourself like resisting that? No, I think it's similar to what Lisa said, you know, realizing that your body is not the same as it was because for a long, long time, I've never had any health concern. Um, Not that I have any now, but certainly you're not as invincible as you once were. And that's just the physical reality of things. Um, And sometimes that's, you know, difficult to accept. You feel vulnerable. Uh, Whereas when you were younger, you, you, you don't have that sense of any of limit. And um, as you get older, you, you come up against that. Um, there, like Sonoko said, there is a time limit. And then you realize that your body has an expiration date and has a, has a limit. Um, so I think all of that just makes um, me, again, like Sonoko, want to live more in the present and to be just there, just be there every day and and to take advantage of every day. Um, But it doesn't limit me in the sense of what I think I can do and cannot do. There are certain physical limitations, obviously, but it doesn't really change how I think of myself in the world and um, what I would like to do and, and can do in terms of my work or um, otherwise. Can I I say one more thing? Um, I just wanted to add that I feel like so many, so much of the feelings that we often have about um, our bodies changing is, you know, it's like the, our cultures, like, um, like reverence of youth and um, how that, you know, you, you be, I think this is changing, like all bodies are becoming part of um, advertising, not just older bodies, but bigger bodies and, um, you know, bodies of color. Um, and so I think that this is, we're in a moment where this could potentially change, but traditionally we are obsessed with youth culture and we're obsessed with youth. And if anything, you know, if you grow old and you still look young, you're given more sort of props than, you know, if you, if you don't. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that like, that's something that is, I'm, I'm hoping we can change this obsession, obsession with youth culture, because I think it's what makes us kind of reject women in particular, when they reach a certain age, we sort of revere older men, even how they look and how they gray and like silver, the silver Fox, right. But we don't have that, that same, um, reverence for aging and women and, um, and so, yeah, I, I hope, I, I think it's changing, but, um, but that's something that I've noticed as well as I've gotten older. I think that intersectionality you're touching on that sort of overlaps ageism with um, ableism as well. And this assumption that, you know, a fully quote unquote healthy able body is actually the norm. And that's actually a very temporary time in most people's lives. And so the us talking about how bodies change over time, some more, some less, is an important part of trying to work to see and unpack that ableism. And then there's also a layer of misogyny on top of that, like you were saying, Lisa, with Silver Fox versus depicting older women as either completely desexualized or this kind of like older sage person who exists only to provide information to younger generations. And that's something I really wanted to touch on in this book, by including stories of intergenerational friendships was to discuss how ageism actually goes both ways and that we don't see younger people often as capable of providing meaningful friendship and advice to people who are older than them. And that we often only see older people as being able to provide information for people younger than them. And in fact, there's many more years ahead of most people if we're lucky and life doesn't stop. Like you said, Nock, I think there are physical limitations, but the limitations on our possibility as human beings and creatively and the curiosity that we have that, that does mm-hmm. not right. stop at a certain age. That's what mm-hmm. I really wanted to explore mm-hmm. in this book. Um, I'm wondering if there is one or several things that you think that our culture here in America in particular gets wrong about aging or getting older. I could tell you like 30 of them, but I'm curious for each of you, if there's one thing that stands out that you just feel like people really misunderstand about what it feels like or what it means to get older in our culture. Nock, let's start with you. <laughs> um, well, I think that, um, most people think that, you know, as you get older, your life sort of narrows down. And I think that is the common perception of aging. It's like the possibilities sort of close in on you until you reach that point at the end. And to me, that, that doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. That is not um, how I live my life. And that's not how it should be. Um, that even like, what Lisa mentioned, people change careers at an uh, older age and, and, you know, people change or can change uh, and do different things and, you know, new avenues can open them to, it all depends on how you live your life how you choose to live your life and how you are open to new possibilities and make those possibilities happen. So, to me, it still at this stage in my life, I'm still thinking maybe I can try to do this. I've been thinking about it a lot. I used to have this thing called when I retire, I'd like to try this. But then I say, why do I have to wait until I retire? I can just try it now. I can, you know, so, you know, I call myself a photographer, but I've done other things before I became a photographer. And I feel like I can still do things 
now in the future, whatever time I have left um, that has nothing to do with photography. Sonoko, what are, what is a way or two that you think our culture might have it wrong about aging? Um, well, they want to put you in a certain category. Um, uh, when I got my, I mean, you're all younger than me, so maybe um, you haven't gone through this, but when I got my first uh, appointment after I got my Medicare, the doctor gave me a questionnaire and asking me if I had all these physical um, ailments, you know, do you need a cane? Can you, you know, stand straight? And, you know, <laughs> how's your balance or, you know, you know, you have to wake up to go to the bathroom. But um, some of the, some of the um, um, uh, physical aging parts, I mean, I have to accept, you know, I, I um, it's, it's just part of the, of nature to, to become older and maybe slightly more fragile. I haven't quite felt that much of it, but um, yeah, I think there is, um, uh, there is uh, a tendency to celebrate the, the youth culture more, but I'm just seeing, a, 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 I, I'm seeing a change, you know, like Lisa mentioned, you know, there's like a, the younger generation of people are accepting, they're becoming more diverse about their, the way they're looking at the world. And I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm part of it. I worked in film for more than 20 years and I reinvented myself when I was in, when I turned 50. And I, I left the film world and I started doing, I started cooking and teaching and I discovered a new self. And, and most recently I thought, okay, am I gonna just be a cooking teacher forever? How can I even have my voice heard even further? And I dug up an old story that got rejected a long time ago, 20 years ago, and I actually sold it as a children's story. So I keep saying, you can't give up. You know, if, if there is a will, you, you could enable something, you know? And I, it was, sometimes it's like luck. A lot of it is luck. and. And uh, you have to be there at the right moment. But I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I feel like uh, in this society, um, people are becoming more open. And even the people that I work with, my, my assistants are all in their 20s and 30s. One is in their 50s. And we're always talking about how we could support each other. And I, I, I feel very grateful that I, I have that kind of community in, in my little uh, what do you call it, uh, capsule or <laughs> pod? <laughs> but um, yeah, Lisa, are there are there any ways that you feel like you'd want to point out misconceptions that people have about aging, and in particular in America? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a perception that as you get older, you get more conservative or you get more closed-minded. And while I'm sure that does happen for some people, you know, I just watch my parents and they're in their eighties. And, um, my mom is like this pretty radical, you know, activist. And she was not when I was growing up. I mean, my mom was, you know, just kind of your typical, like 1970s housewife in terms of like her, you know, she was not an outspoken feminist or anything, even during that era. And I've noticed as my mom has gotten older that she's gotten more and more progressive in her thinking and more and more open-minded. Um, and part of that is, you know, she has a queer kid and, you know, but like she like walks around town with a Black Lives Matter shirt and, you know, participates in, my mom is a 
part of the art quilting community and she participates in all kinds of, you know, protest art and she makes all kinds of quilts that are that are extremely political. And I never, when my mom started that kind of phase of her, her creative path, like never imagined that that would have happened. And I think it, I've seen other, this happen to other uh, people that I've known as well. And so I think there are, you know, a lot of like baby boomers and people from the silent generation, which is my parents' generation, who are actually becoming more similar to what um, Sunoco said, like becoming more outspoken and becoming um, like using their voices and the fact that they're older and not, you know, young kids who are like rallying in the streets um, to help change minds. And, and that's just like really heartening for me. You know, I personally have, I've always had sort of like political views, but I've been way more outspoken about them in the last five or six years than when I was younger, because I don't give a crap anymore. You know what I mean? What, if other people don't like what I have to say, I'm going to speak my truth. And I think that is really true for a lot of older people. And I think, you know, we think that, that it's the opposite, that people actually kind of go into a hole or become more conservative or become more shut down. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that is a really common misconception. And like you said, there will always be a percentage of people who move in lots of different directions. But I think one of the things our culture does is assume that people pay less attention as they get older or that less, they're less interested. And in my experience in working on this book and in life in particular has been, that's been quite the opposite of, I think people tend to get more curious and pay closer attention and be interested in hearing what other people have to say. But like you said, Lisa, perhaps interjecting their own thoughts with a greater sense of confidence than they may have in their, you know, twenties or thirties. I'm wondering what role, if any, the women who came before you uh, play in your life now in terms of elders and women in your community, whether that's family, people in your work communities, or just people that you interact with in your day-to-day life, have the, have the roles of older women affected you in any way? Lisa, what about you? You know, I was just talking about my mother and she is super inspiring to me in a lot of ways because, you know, physically she's, you know, she's had a knee replacement and she's, you know, got all the aches and pains. Um, so her health isn't always 100%, but she's so engaged in her life and in what's going on around her, not just in listening, but in actually doing things and putting her money where her mouth is. And she has this really vibrant social life where she, Um, hangs out with her friends and they're all really creative and she's part of all these different groups. And so even during the pandemic, she's like on zoom with this, this group that she, you know, and she's like on the board of directors for, you know, this particular surface design association. And she's, you know, does the newsletter and she's just, you know, and sometimes I'm like worried. I'm like, mom, cause she gets a little stressed out. Cause she's like, I, I can't talk or I can't hang out this day. Cause I have too much to do. And I'm like, mom, you know, you, you maybe, maybe, you know, but it's like the stuff she complains about is the stuff that keeps her alive. And like, he, she's so sharp and she's so, and my dad too, they read and they, they're just very um, engaged in what's happening in the world to the point where I think it kind of stresses them out a little bit. Um, and they maybe should be relaxing a little bit more. And that is such, they're such great role models to me. Um, you know, they've gone on every March with me here in Portland and they're, they're just 
they're, they're just really great examples of like showing up and, um, and, you know, being intellectually curious and questioning things and accepting new ideas that maybe they would have rejected five years ago. And that is, um, it's just so inspiring to me and makes me want to live in the same way. Knock, what role do elders who are women in your community play in your life? Oh, like I said, I'm always inspired by older women. And, um, you know, I, in my family, I had a, an aunt. Um, he, she was actually my dad's cousin who was really a remarkable woman who really, really was a great influence on my life um, and really inspired me and my grandmother and my mother my mother's still alive and but these other women are gone but I think about them all the time and I I always have them in the back of my mind but again um, there have been other women that I have sought out like um, Marth Armitage is one and she's this amazing woman who is now 90 something, 96, 97. I keep, I lose track of the years, but um, she is, she went to art school. She's, um, she lives in the UK in London. She, when she was young, had a family. um, She had like two, three kids. She found a way to practice her art and make a living. And she did these beautiful wallpapers hand printed block print and she did that until very recently maybe five years ago that she had to actually give up the physical printing it's she's got this tiny studio where she actually does this beautiful hand printing wallpaper hand printed wallpaper and so I actually like wrote to her and went to meet her because I just thought that it was so amazing to me that she managed to make her life doing what she loved and she never paid attention to fashion or style or anything she was just her true self and people responded to her work and to me that's a real inspiration absolutely Sonoka what about you um well I have uh like Naka, I have uh, a lot of people uh, in my family that I, I respect and admire, and most of them have passed away. But uh, my father, for example, was a really interesting person. <laughs> he, I was like his favorite daughter, I guess. But whenever I went back to Tokyo, he was just waiting for me with a bottle of wine and he would make me breakfast. And he lived to be 94 years old. But I remember when I was uh, uh, in the film business, I was a buyer for a Japanese film distributor. And I was, I went to all the film festivals and I bought a movie called My Private, My Own Private Idaho. And <laughs> and I guess if you're queer, you know, I mean, it was a very successful film and, but it was a very controversial film. And I even had to fly to Portland and, and, and talk to the film director because my, my distributor says, maybe the ending needs to be changed. It's t- still too obscure and not, uh, you know, accessible enough, but, so anyway, I was dealing with this movie and it turned into a hit, but my father actually went to see the movie and he was already in his eighties, but he wanted to see what it was that I was like running around trying to, you know, <laughs> make it into a hit box office hit. But, um, 
he was that kind of person. He always wanted to keep up with the time. And so he went to see every movie I bought and including Lord of the Rings. And, and, and sometimes he's like, that was such an obscure movie, but he was always a film lover. And that's why I went into the movies, you know, in, uh, in my thirties, it was my twenties to my, my fifties. But um, anyway, so that kind of open-mindedness was, was very precious, you know, I appreciated that very much. And then when I got, got to Tokyo, we would sit over breakfast or lunch and talk about the movie. And these kind of intergenerational conversation for me was really important. And we could understand, you know, we, we made an effort to understand each other. So um, that's what I remember so well about my dad. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I I think one of the things I think about often when I think about aging and women in particular is as power dynamics and the way that I think our culture decides that women are giving up some sort of power and become less visible. And so one of the things I really wanted to ask everybody about in this project was the way in which right now at this point in your life, what or where do you feel most empowered? Because I think we need to hear more narratives of women feeling empowered at all ages, because you know, that, that, that does not have a peak at the age of 20. I think that continues to mature and change as we get older. So let's start with you, Lisa. When, where, and how do you feel most empowered today at this age? You know, I am at a place in my career where I feel really empowered. And I think so much of my success has to do with the privilege that I came into it with. um, And I want to acknowledge that. Um, I mean, certainly I've worked hard and I have talent. You know, I'm not going to like deny that, but, and so that also sort of plays into it, but so much of I, so much of the power that I feel, I think also comes from this sense of like knowing, like when I started and I was self-taught, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was completely confused and faking it half the time. And I, it has occurred to me in the last year, I'm not faking it anymore. Like I actually do know what I'm doing. I know how I work. I know how much I should be paid. I know how long things will take me. I know my worth in a way that I didn't in the beginning, naturally, because I was starting out. And I've just sort of like um, a lot of the insecurities that I used to have or anxiety about um, my place in the art world um, have, have dissipated. And I feel very confident and um, in a way that is very different. And so much of that, I think, is just my lived experience, you know, making mistakes and learning from them, you know, doing, uh, taking opportunities that didn't work for me or ones that did where I, you know, actually asked for or my agent asked for the amount of money that I felt like the thing was worth. And I got, you know, I'm getting better and better at saying no to opportunities that aren't right for me. Um, even though I'm a people pleaser in general, you know, that I just like, I don't have time. So, you know, I have to have boundaries around my time and my work. And this is all a very new experience for me. And um, I have to say, it feels really good. I feel like I'm in it right now. And I, I feel it also transferring to other parts of my life. Like, kind of like how I interact with my friends and family, how I approach, you know, my cycling um, hobby and endeavors. And um, I have this sense of like confidence and like groundedness and peace with myself that, that I haven't had in any other time in my life. And um, 
and that feels, it feels really good. Um, and you know, there, of course there's part of me that's like, oh, this is going to go away at some point, but maybe this is just like the, the new normal. Like when I make a mistake or I embarrass myself or I say the wrong thing, I can take responsibility and not obsess over it for days and days and weeks and weeks after like, oh, I made a mistake. I'm okay. I'm going to move on. And, um, and so that's sort of all wrapped up together, but, but yeah. I really identify with that feeling of being able to learn to make a mistake and to take accountability and learn from it and not make that mistake again, but to not attach that to identity in the same way that I think you do when you're in your twenties and thirties in particular. Right. Um, It's like you say, I am not my mistakes. Like I can honestly say like, these things don't define me, you know, I, it's part of my humanity. And I don't think I understood that. And that's a very empowering feeling. Nock, what about you? How, how, or when do you feel most empowered these days? Well, I mean, I, I don't really think of it in those terms, but, but reflecting on your question, I would say when I first started doing photography, I um, would be um, assigned to shoot certain things and I'd be more than happy to have the opportunity to do so. But maybe 12, 15 years ago, I decided that, you know, I, I have certain interests of my own and I would like to pursue those. And so I did. And as a result, um, I've become more specialized in, you know, certain things. And, and now I'm more sought out for those things. So looking back, I, you know, it wasn't such a conscious um, thing, goal that I had set in mind. It was just sort of intuitively following what I wanted to do. And that's just, which is why um, I'm so attracted to people like Martha Amitage, because I feel like people who just follow their own true self and manage to just stay with that, eventually the world will come around to it and recognize it. And I think that's the one thing that I think um, makes me feel kind of good about how I've managed to do what I do is, is that when I was younger, I was just happy to do whatever someone asked me to do. But at some point I learned enough of myself to know that there are certain things that I wanted to do. And then the world came to recognize that maybe that's what I'm good at. And, um, you know, let me do that. So that makes me feel good about myself. And I guess, um, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'm being my true self, that I'm just not doing what someone asked me to do. And then to have it come around so that now people ask me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Sonoka, what about you? When and where do you feel most empowered these days? Well, I, um, I'm a little bit like Nock too, because I um, came into this cooking world. Um, I've always loved to cook, but I always thought that that was something I did for my family or I did um, as a hobby. And But when I decided to leave the film business, uh, which happened because I had a failed movie and I couldn't keep going, um, and I was feeling old too, and I thought this is a time to make a transition. So I dived into making noodles, which is like, as far as my father was concerned, he he almost had a heart attack. Is why would you leave your career to make these lowly noodles? I'll take you to any noodle shop in Tokyo. Why are you doing this? 
But I said, you know, it's 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 time and it's the making, putting my hands in flour is very restorative. And um, I can't, I don't want to become a sushi chef, but I've always wanted to pursue cooking. And I feel like when it comes to Asian women working in cooking or teaching about Asian cuisine or Japanese cuisine, there is no, there's hardly anybody. There's Julia Child and, you know, Marcela Hazan and all these um, European um, culinary experts, but I felt like Japanese home cooking didn't even exist. People say, well, I know the sushi chef or, and I thought, wait a minute, there is such a beautiful world uh, of cooking at home and maybe I could be the voice. And so I decided instinctively, if I can't do sushi, sushi I'm just gonna stick my hands in, in, in flour and, and see where I could take it. And that's exactly what I did. And I kept it up for 10 years. And even though it's just making noodles and I'm not a master at it because I don't own a, I'm not a chef. I don't own a, uh, a restaurant. I just started teaching out of my living room and my students were my friends. And, but slowly people started to notice and I, started to talk to millers and farmers and even grain scientists and people inviting me to come and talk about my noodles. And I mean, it was incredible. And I, I didn't realize that there was a, a world beyond uh, film. I thought I just basically retired myself from life, but then I kind of reinvented myself and that was 10 years ago. And I just feel so humbled by that experience. I was, I still don't think I'm a, I'm a good noodle maker, but at least I've learned to share what I love. Mm -hmm. And that has really empowered me. And now people come to me and, and I've done, I've gone beyond making, just making noodles. Of course I make miso, I make, um, you know, I make, I, I, I dry fruit and, um, people say, oh, Sonoko, teach us how. And it's like, I'm just learning as I go. You know, it's not like I'm trying to keep up with, I have an Okonomiyaki class next, this weekend, and I'm still not good at it. And I'm going, I'm just going to have to make a lot of these pancakes to, to make sure that I don't mess up during the webinar. But um, here I am, I'm, I'm feeling empowered by that, but also not forgetting my beginner's mind, because I feel that um, just because people are reaching out to me for, for my experience, I, I still want to keep, stay humble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel empowered. I love that idea of maintaining a beginner's mind. I think that really taps into the curiosity that I, for mm -hmm. me, is most important to remind people that that curiosity continues to grow over time and doesn't go away and maintaining contact with that is a really nice way to do that. And I love that all three of you mentioned this kind of honing of your sense of intuition as something that, you know, if you are lucky enough to get older, that it will continue to develop and that perhaps you even have the chance to get closer to that sense of intuition and, and trust it more. And I think that's something that we perhaps undersell to women in particular about what is so wonderful about getting older is that you do have this time and place to hear your own voice and learn to value it outside of the context of what other people may or may not think of that, that voice. So as we wrap up, I want to ask kind of a, a two-part question. Um, I'd love to know what's something that you maybe wish you had known as you entered your forties. I think that's kind of the, 
the pivot point we tend to look at people entering kind of a, a later stage in life. So if you could go back and tell yourself one thing, what would that be? Because I think that people listening to this conversation who may be right on the cusp of entering this era of life or are looking forward at it, what is something they might be able to take away from a lesson that you've learned that you'd like to share with everybody? Lisa, let's start with you. Not to steal a phrase, but I'm going to, it gets better. Like, you know, I see a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are turning 30 or turning 40. I have lots of friends who are um, even in their twenties and my students are all in their twenties and early thirties. And you either sometimes you see people celebrating these milestone birthdays, like 30 or 40. Um, um, but most of the time you see people sort of freaking out. And I, um, I was sort of like that. Like I met my now wife when I was for, when I was 40 and I remember turning 40 before I met her thinking like, Oh my God, I'm 40. I'm still single. I'm never going to have a relationship. You know, maybe I need to just like get comfortable being single. And that probably would have been a totally fine path had it happened. But this attitude that you're the older you get, your life is sort of ending. And whether I had found a relationship or not is sort of irrelevant because I think that what I needed to do was, and what I eventually did was adopted this attitude that like, I'm getting stronger, I'm getting smarter you know, I really just kind of launched my career that I have now, which similar to knock, I, you know, I kind of make the work I want to make and have built a career out of it. And that's just like talk, talking about empowerment. Like that's, that's the crux of it. And that you have all of this experience and wisdom and perspective and creativity that you didn't have when you were younger, like it, life gets better. Um, you just have to be engaged in your life and, you know, look forward and not backward. And I wish I had known that a little sooner. I think it took me a few years, but it really does. It really does get better. I mean, yeah, sure. There's aches and pains and there's, you know, menopause and there's all kinds of, you know, annoying things. Um, I have to have a knee replacement in the next couple of years, you know, but yeah, so many aspects of my life have really become so much richer with age. Mm. Nak, what about you? What's something you wish you had known as you entered your 40s and this kind of different stage of life that might be helpful for others to know? I think it's the same with what Lisa said that, you know, um, it's, it's difficult to imagine that it actually gets better in the sense that it just becomes so much more layered and so much richer, you know, your experience and your knowledge becomes much much deeper and so everything you see everything with a different perspective and so life becomes actually a lot richer um but just on a personal thing I think I wish that I had known I have a daughter and um she's going to turn 20 in a week and I wish I had known then that it was going to go so quickly. Um, so I, 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 I don't know if it would have made any difference, but those, those first few years were so precious and so incredibly enriching just looking back. Um, it really gave me so much. It's just 
um, in terms of experience and perspective and just life in general. And um, so, yeah. Anoka, what about you? What do you wish you may have known? So I, I don't know if people even use this word anymore, but um, some people experience midlife crisis uh, in their 40s. I think you hear that from men more than women. And I, um, in my 40s, I was a very engaged film buyer and I was not home a lot. And I was always away in some film festival and I communicated with my husband and my son through faxes and telephones. And, and, and I felt, I, I wish I had spent even more time with them, you know, physically in one place than being away all the time. And, but that wasn't possible with the kind of work I did. And, um, but I tried, but I think if I had a chance to do it all over again, um, I really would emphasize uh, maintaining good communications, you know, be engaged with your family and your, your friends and loved ones and, um, and, and make that a priority. I think, um, work is great. And, um, yes, I, I dove into that, uh, work and I was good at it, but I think, you know, your, 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 your family and your friends are, are so important that you have to make the time to, to, um, care about them and love them. And so, I, I think that priority still remains the same. I think as we get older, it's even more important. So I, um, yeah, I, I'm in pretty close contact with my family, even though my husband actually lives away in another place. He comes home just on the weekends, but you know, we, we, we just, uh, we, we stay in close touch and, and that's very important. You know, same with my son, he lives in Seattle, but we're always connected. And that connection is very, very important to me as I grow older. And I urge that for everyone at any any stage of their lives. I just wanna to add to what Sunoko said and that, you know, the family and, and, and my own personal experience, that I'm so glad that I was able to, as a freelance photographer, make the time to spend with my daughter in those first few years of her life. And like I said, it was such an enriching experience for me and it's something that I've often thought about you know the fact that many women don't have that luxury um, our society is not set up with childcare for women to um, or you know maternity leave and paternity leave for, for parents to have that time with their children that very crucial time you know in the first years of a child's life um, and that is such a benefit to everybody but yeah it, I, I I mean even though I had so much of it I wish I had even more and knowing how precious that is and how quickly that goes and um, if there was one thing that I wish I could work on is um, child care and education early education those things are so important in determining the rest of a child's life. I'm so glad you mentioned just how precious time is. And I know we all experience and, and value that preciousness in really different ways, but I'm so grateful for the time that you all shared with us today. I'm, I know that it is 
time is precious. And thank you for sharing this time with me and everyone listening and for sharing your stories, not just here, but in collective wisdom as well. And I'm really honored to be in community with all of you. And I hope that your stories inspire other people to really reach out and connect with other women that they can talk about and share these experiences with, because it's, it's really important for us all to be talking about this in ways that allow us to build community and feel supported. So thank you for, for inspiring that today. This has been a special 2021 Portland Book Festival episode of Literary Arts, The Archive Project, a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland. Our Portland Book Festival special episodes include conversations with editor and poet John Freeman and three writers, Jakuta Alikovazovich, Lana Bostasic, and Alexander Heyman, with Roots in the Balkans on change through the specific lens of language and translation. Our Archive Project producer, Crystal Ligori, talks to novelists Rivka Galchin and A.K. Blakemore about their new witch books. Four panelists from the 2017 festival, Kava Akbar, Melissa Fibos, Megan Steelstra, and Marissa Siegel, reunite to continue their conversation about wounds and wonders and writing. Grace Bonney, creator of Design Sponge, leads a discussion on aging with three of the featured women from her new book, Collective Wisdom, Lisa Congdon, Nyakman Nyo, Sunoko Sakai. Tune in at The Archive Project and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our show is produced by Crystal Ligori for radio and podcast with production oversight by Amanda Bullock and support from Liz Olofsson. Special thanks to literary arts marketing staff, Jyoti Roy and Hope Levy, and the entire literary arts staff, board, and community. This show would not be possible without them. Thanks also to the band Emancipator for our theme music, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Amanda Bullock, and this has been another special Portland Book Festival podcast episode of the Archive Project from Literary Arts. Join us next time and find your story here.